social media is a double-edged sword, right? You know, so many people that have developed a sense of self-worth that is dependent on what others think, say, or feel, how they react, how they like, you know, and look, companies are doing this on purpose. It's a dopamine hit, but we've got to be aware of that, right? We've got to be intentionally aware of, is my sense of self-worth dependent on what others think, say, or feel, or is it independent of that? And is it grounded in me discovering through some deep inner work, my purpose, my passion, and my principles. Hey, it's Zach from Boston Speaks Up. The voice you just heard is Michael Karen. He's the founder and CEO of Get Burly. Michael is an entrepreneur. He's an elite coach. His mindfulness is off the charts. I just had an incredible conversation with him, and I'm really looking forward to sharing it with the community. Enjoy. Silicon Valley Bank is a proud sponsor of Boston Speaks Up. For more than 35 years, Silicon Valley Bank has helped innovative companies and their investors move bold ideas forward fast. SVB provides targeted financial services and expertise through its offices at 53 State Street in downtown Boston and in Newton and innovation centers around the world. With commercial, international, and private banking services, SVB helps address the unique needs of Boston's innovators. Learn more at svb.com. Zach Shavideo here from Boston Speaks Up, and I'm here with Get Burley CEO, Michael Karen. What's up, Mike? How you doing? What's, what's going on, brother? I heard you on an earlier podcast <laughs> say that your name probably pronounced properly should be Servideo. Yeah. Which I think like I like I like I like the way that flows. <laughs> yeah, no, I I know it's funny. It's like if I if I just inc- completely embrace that, I'd become like, I don't know, do I become the pretentious guy in my family? Even <laughs> technically yeah, but- pronouncing it the right way. If you say it, it could be foreseen as pretentious. Yeah. But if I say it, I mean, that's just all free. Yeah. <laughs> hey, Mr. Cervideo. That's right. Hey, uh, molto bene. Yeah. Uh, thanks for, for being with us. And 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 I'll ask, I'll, Mike or Michael, what do you prefer? Um, I like I like the full Michael. I like to nice. go with Michael. Because, yeah, you know, it, always, it goes from yeah. Michael to Mike to Mikey. Yeah. Burley or Mr. Burley or yeah. Mr. Get Burley. So it's like, it's very rare that someone's just like, hey, I'm sitting down with Michael today. So I'll, yeah. I'll roll with that. I'll roll All with right, that. All right, sweet. That's my middle name, Michael. We got a we got Zachary Michael vibes going on. Um, I like it. But you can just call me Zach. Um, but you call me Zachary. Um, usually it only happens if like my mom or my wife's mad at me. Um, so, so dude, thanks for being here. Uh, let's give listeners a nice, just kind of state of who you are and what you're doing in the world with, with get Burley. If you could just give some background. Yeah, for sure. So the first, I just want to start off by saying like, I've always thought that like our most valuable asset is time. And so the fact that you're taking the time and if your listeners are tuning in that they're taking their time, I just want to start by saying, thank you so much. I appreciate it. Um, because in my opinion, it is our most valuable asset. So thank you so much. Yep. Uh, so my name is Michael Karen. I'm the CEO and founder uh, over at Get Burly. And essentially what Get Burly is about, you know, a lot of times people ask me like, what is it? What does it mean? What is this like alluding to? And so the term Burly itself refers to being strong, sturdy, and well-built. And what we do in all of our various ventures is to help individuals and teams develop strength from the inside out. So when we talk about being strong, sturdy, and well-built, we'll talk, we're talking about 
first and foremost, the development of inner strength. So mental toughness, emotional resiliency, situational awareness, presence, being in the moment. And then of course, there is the physical realm as well. I've spent a lot of time um, in the world of physical fitness and sports and um, you know, having a physical presence. So that is a component to it, but it really starts with the development of strength from the inside out. And so our work really involves helping um, individuals and teams, both predominantly corporate and athletic teams, to really dial that in to perform at their best. So that when they're engaging in you know, those big moments um, that they've done the, the work during the unseen hours to shine during those moments. And that's really where a lot of the, you know, the difficult work can be. And so we want to really get used to attacking that process. And uh, we love to talk about, um, you know, this idea of, you know, marrying the process and divorcing the outcome, which my good friend Chad likes to use a lot. But I love that. I love that sort of philosophy where we kind of are, are really diving into the process. And really, when we do that, the outcome is going to take care of itself. So that's really kind of who we are. This is like a 10,000 mile view. That's kind of who we are and, and what we're doing now. How do we kind of, kind of engage in that work? Well, that's through performance coaching, fitness coaching, and then we run large-scale team building and leadership development seminar workshops and retreats all over the country, um, like I said, predominantly with athletic and corporate teams. So that's kind of how the work plays itself out in the real world. That's awesome. Uh, who? What would be a, a few interesting examples of companies, organizations that you've, uh, that Get Burley has, has done some uh, programming for? Yeah. So I'm glad you asked that question. We, we just came off of an, it's such an exciting summer and, you know, the previous summer it was all virtual and, you know, kind of doing some, some, some zoom seminar and workshops, which was cool. Learned a lot, you know, and, uh, you know, really dialed in on the, um, on the coaching side of things, individual coaching. Um, but to be back in person this summer and to be able to connect, I mean, I just thrive off that energy. I just, I just love it so much. And so this summer we were able to, uh, you know, work with, with one company called wake up where it's an amazing organization. And what part of the process of what we do is we get with the leaders of companies and we're like, okay, so, you know, just like I explained to you, this is kind of who we are. This is what we're about, but what are the needs of your company? Like, where do you think perhaps you're misfiring? What are some of the things that we can, that we can help you dial in? And so one of the things I loved about this particular group is that there's such a commitment to family, right? So it's like, let's take the leaders of this organization and let's bring them on an event with their sons and daughters to further, you know, uh, connect those bonds that, that maybe are already deep, but let's just further connect them. So we had 70 people, fathers, sons, daughters, we took into the deep main wilderness and we did a three-night, four-day event. It was absolutely phenomenal. We were camping. We were having fireside chats. We were working out in the morning. I had some of my top trainers, top people in the world in fitness there, like amazing rock star people. Um, we did a, a day of rafting on the Penobscot River, which was so amazing. You know, seeing the kids' faces on the river, dads, sons, daughters, connecting, you know, making these, having these experiences that are going to last a lifetime. It was, it was absolutely amazing. And then we went up the next day and we did this amazing hike and, 
you know, especially for the young people with their, with their dads and they're saying, Oh my, I, I never thought they're looking at the mountain. They're like, I never thought I'd be able to do this. And they're, they're doing it together and they're talking about what's possible. And, you know, one of the things that I learned, we'll probably get into this. I trained with the Navy SEALs for many years and Lieutenant Commander Mark Devine's Unbeatable Mind program is just what we would call the 20X factor, which is this idea that you're 20 times more capable than you think you are. And so, you know, just to be there with families that are forming these super strong connections, which ultimately has this incredible impact in the workplace, right? Because, you know, it's it's very similar to sports. There's There's a lot of analogies in what success looks like in the corporate structure and also in sports, where when you know more about that person that's next to you, right? That's next to you on the football field or the basketball court, but that's next to you in the office. When you understand their bonds, when you know what their connection looks like to their sons and daughters, you know, you kind of want to go that extra mile from that much more. It's, you don't want to let that person down. Now, if you, not that anyone would want to do that, but if you don't really have a strong connection and a strong bond, sometimes you can sort of go through the day in a, in a nonchalant, more casual way. But it's like, if you're locked in, you're on the same page, you know each other, you know what you're fighting for, you know what you're working towards. Now you're really pulling for each other in like a dynamic new way. And so when we have these experiences where we go out and we talk about what matters and we build connections, what happens is when people go back to the office space or they go back to the uh, playing fields in, in, in the realm of athletics, the team is connected on a whole new level which ultimately affects every way in which you can measure the bottom line from productivity to profitability to enhanced chemistry and teamwork. And so that was one event. The other one I want to talk about is this amazing team, right? So in a very small town in Oklahoma, my wife is from Oklahoma originally, and we do a lot of work in that part of the country. Um, this, this team is amazing. So we've worked with them five years. It's a, it's a co-ed cheer team, which is like a really big sport on that part of the country. And these athletes are like phenomenal. If you watch them, like yep. I've been around athletics my whole life, like the flipping, the backbending, the twirls, the twist, the timing, the building of a pyramid, the balance. It's, it's like a beautiful thing to watch. In this team, we've been with them for five years now. The first year they were runners up to the state championship. They made it all the way to the finals and just couldn't quite do it. And then just literally last week, they won their fourth consecutive state championship back to back to back to back. So five years we've worked with them, runner-up, and then four state championships in a row. And look, they're amazing student-athletes. They have an amazing coach. But to be able to play some small part in that chemistry and in that bonding and in that success, just it's such an amazing experience. So those are kind of two highlights from the nice. summer. Um, you know, spending some time with uh, with some athletes and also some, you know, some families that are trying to, you know, make a stronger connection, which ultimately impacts, um, you know, their life when they, when they leave in the workplace and beyond. That's great. I want to double click on the event that you did up in Maine and you mentioned you had like additional coaches there. Uh, like who are some of those people and you know, how do you like develop those relationships? I know, you know, Jesse Itzler is, is someone that you're, you're a big, um, you know, fan and, and sort of like peer and like you supporter of each other. Um, if people don't know him, they should. Uh, but who are some of these, who are some of the peers and that some of the company that you keep, um, to help round out like one of these, um, you know, one, one of these sort of like multi-day, you know, programs that you do. Yeah. So 
I've been able to make just th- throughout my experiences, um, traveling and, and, and being in the world of fitness and being in the world of making, you know, positive change and positive impact. I've just been able to make some really incredible connections. And, you know, whether I'm diving into somebody else's company or, or they're diving into mine, like I'm all in anything I do, if I'm going to do it, like there is nothing else, but, but being all in. And what I found is that, you know, when you, when you can check your ego at the door and you just dive in, you know, unabashedly like fire aim ready kind of mentality and just go for it. Like not what am I going to get out of this, but what can I give to this? Right. It's amazing what happens in those situations. And as a result of that, I've just been able to make some really, you know, really deep, authentic connections, um, and relationships that sort of, um, there's great mutual synergy. So you mentioned Jesse Itzler, like an amazing, just an amazing human being that I, you know, consider a friend, consider a mentor. Um, For people that don't know Jesse too, like just give a quick background on who Jesse is. Yeah. So, I mean, he's got so much going on right now, but Jesse originally was like a rapper, (laughs) you know, and he, he had a, you know, he released an album way back in the day and, you know, then he, you know, created and formed. he was a CEO of NetJet or Marquee Jet, which then he sold to the NetJets. And then he founded Zico Coconut Water and sold that off to Coca-Cola and just a serial entrepreneur that's done amazing things. And now he's got this amazing program um, that, you know, he's got the, he calls it the BACC. <laughs> and I, I don't want to swear on your podcast, <laughs> but the big A calendar club. And it's, he's got this big calendar and you, you kind of dial in and, you know, it's just, he's got this 29029 Everesting event that he's running all over the country where it's the equivalent of climbing Mount Everest. And you, you hike up and you take a gondola down and you hike up and you take a gondola down. And, you know, it just meshes so well with this mindset that I love so much, which is like, what are we really capable of when we, when we tap in, all the powers that exist within us, you know, mentally, spiritually, socially, emotionally, physically, and, and we intentionally cultivate things, all those things on a regular basis, like, where can we go? And so, you know, serial entrepreneur, you know, run a, so many hundred mile events, like, they, you know, a hundred mile man, they call him. So he's just done a lot of things. But what I love most about Jesse is that he, he really does this amazing job of feeling you know, filling the different buckets that matter in his life and constantly pouring into those buckets and making sure that none of them are empty. So it's whether like it's intentionally spending time, you know, with his dad that's in his 90s, which you'll see if you if you watch him, you know, he's out there, he's with his dad. He's and he talks about like, how many days do we have left? Like, how many actually days do we have left? And like, how much time are you spending with the people that you love the most? Like, you know, so if you spend, you know, he'll, he'll like calculate it out for you real quick because he's done this so often. Like, how often do you see your mom? Like, okay, well, I mean, maybe it's I see her once a month. Well, how many, I, if you have the average lifespan of, of an American citizen, like that means you have, and he'll just like calculate, that means you have 15 more opportunities to connect with your mom. If we, if you live based on the average lifespan, it's like, it just, he puts things in stark perspective that quick. And so like, how are you valuing your time? How are you spending your time? And for me, like, that's just somebody that I want to connect with because I mm-hmm. think that's like philosophically exactly where I want to be, which is, and then I started the podcast by saying this, like, let's really value our time and let's dial it in and let's make sure like we're winning on our own clearly defined terms, not just in the field of business and entrepreneurship, which is freaking awesome, by the way, right? Because yeah. we can have so much impact, but everywhere, right? Familial relationships, friend bonds, like doing those things, like instead of saying, nah, I'll do it then. Like, no, go hike that mountain, go do that thing that matters to you. Um, and, and I love, you know, that's, that's one of the reasons why I love him. But to answer your question, serial entrepreneur, major impactor, like doing these amazing things, helping people push beyond their perceived limitations. Um, so that's why I love him so much. But 
to kind of circle back full circle to the original question. So like at this main event, I had this, this guy's amazing guy. His name's Mark Jones. Mark Jones is arguably one of the, in my opinion, <laughs> if not the best, one of the best endurance athletes on the planet. I mean, this guy's, I don't know if your audience is familiar with Goruck selection, but Goruck selection is this amazing, um, program event, um, that's put on by, you know, foremost special forces and just look it up and you'll be like, this is the most insane thing I've ever seen in my life. Um, and he's completed go rock selection. One of the very few people on the planet that's done that, you know, and he's, I mean, yeah, I'm checking it out now. This is a hundred, hundred mile races. You know, he's just done. He's his, his res, his racing resume is like incredible. And, um, when he was with the national guard, they brought get Burley in, um, he's retired from the military now, but you know, he was in the army for a while and, you know, pulled us in to do a program for the national guard. They were forming an all army national guard endurance team. And part of the selection process was get Burley came in and run the, we ran the mental conditioning component of that. So it was like, you know, okay, we're going to test you physically to see if you can make this team, but also where are you at mentally? How much, like, where's your commitment? Um, so we came in and did the mental conditioning component of it. And then the physical conditioning component of it was run by another great friend of ours, who is uh, the CEO and founder of a company called Yancey Camp. And he also founded a program called DecaFit, which is a part of the the whole Spartan paradigm. So he's a good friend of our, I've known him as well forever. So those are two guys that, you know, are get burly coaches, get burly trainers. They, they'll come in from time to time, depending upon where I am in the country or what makes the most sense. But they were both at the event and you want to talk about nice. like raw, raw, unfiltered energy and enthusiasm. Man. Like they ran the morning workouts, but they're, they're like these incredible people that it's not only, you know, their, their physical experiences and their race resumes and Yancey's race resume too. He's very humble, but he's <laughs> like just this incredible person. Um, they're just great life mentors. They've been through so much. They're in their own right, you know, CEOs of their own companies, you know, Mark owns a race company. Yance, like I said, Yancey owns Yancey Camp, which is like this, the best OCR fitness training company in the country. If anybody's interested in obstacle course racing, like he is the man. Um, but, you know, to be able to bring those guys in and, and have them be on the Gip Early staff for our events, is, it's just so amazing. And it adds such a, a high level of energy, enthusiasm, and mentorship to the process that, you know, I'm always just so grateful and thankful afterwards. I'm like, this is amazing, you know? Um, but you know, it, it pays to build those types of connections and and you never know, you know, that's not why you do it. You just pour into people and it's amazing sort of the wonders of life and how things come full circle. I love the words you just used pour into people. I pour into people. Like I've never used those words before, but it immediately resonated with me. Can you just expand on that for a moment like what does that mean for you like to just without it with without necessarily like a transactional string attached like you just like is it like attract like and you just you pour into that person because you get so much back from them like what is what does pour into people mean well i'll i'll go first to my good friend george bryant and if and i mentioned so many people because i just i just love people it's good people yeah do, i'm the george same bryant. way i love it <laughs> yeah no it's, yeah, so, it's useful like your background on jesse itzler and mark jones like this is what the you know the podcast hopefully is introducing people not just to you but this whole world sort of like you know elite coaches and just i mean we're talking to entrepreneurs that are listeners right now and 
these are the types of folks that, you know, they'll want to seek out to, to just develop and, and hone their craft and just become better humans. Right, right. Yeah. And everybody's looking for a competitive advantage too. So yeah. it's all part of the process. But so my, my, I have another friend named George Bryan. He, and he's got this lighthouse, lighthouse method of sort of to look at entrepreneurship. And, and he has coined the phrase, and I love this, relationships beat algorithms. And so when you talk about pouring into people, um, you know, and you do, you do pour into people, by the way, like you and I have sort of formed this connection. I can't wait to meet in person, but you know, it's like, Hey, what, what, you know, it's like the way that your approach is like, as soon as you kind of figure out someone's vibe, I feel like your, your immediate sense naturally and organically is like, okay, what are the connections I can make here? You know, how can we sort of feed this, right? Like I talk about feeding the courage wolf all the time, you know, the old Cherokee parable, which wolf are you feeding? So it's like, how can I feed this person's courage wolf? How can I build them up? Um, and I think that's what, you know, one of the questions that you asked me prior to us kind of popping on today is like, you know, what do you see in the people that you work with? What are like the, the things that you want to emulate? And I talk about this idea of servant leadership. And I feel like that's what leadership really is, right? It's your ability to pour into others. It's your ability to come from a place of service. And it's this idea, like, I want to lift up the people around me as high as I possibly can. And for some, some people feel that if they do that, they are holding themselves back. It is the exact opposite. Yeah. And I cannot tell you how many life experiences that I personally have that prove that to be true and just organically and situationally viewing uh, people within my sphere do that, uh, you know, and lift people up and where it's taken them to these in, incredible levels. So I think, you know, pouring in is just is coming into any situation from this perspective of like, you know, I, I have this sort of philosophy, right? If I meet a person, if it's for a brief moment or a long time, it, it might be an interaction that I have with somebody at the convenience store, right? For that moment that I meet them, whether it's a very short period of time or a, or a more lengthy period of time, how can I become a better person for having known them? And how can they become a better person for having known me in just in that moment? And I think when we sort of can approach things from that perspective, you know, it helps to you know, build people up and like, like the, the words you use, pour into somebody that's going to build them up. That's going to make their day better. And in my opinion, life's too short not to. <laughs> yeah, that's great. And, uh, that we definitely relate because that's kind of, it's a natural mindset I have, like just going to the grocery store or just being in a parking lot. And it's funny, my daughter, our daughter's only four. Uh, and my, my wife said to her the other day, we were like out and she's like, where's daddy? And, and she's like, oh, sh he's, he's making friends again. Because <laughs> uh, I, I, I was, you have to be careful, like how you, you know, you you preach this to a young child because they obviously have to have some level of a guard. But but I do have a mindset of like every stranger is just a new friend. Um, <laughs> that's kind of the way I've I've approached life and and, and still do. Um, so we definitely definitely relate there. I have uh, one follow on point, and then I kind of want to unpack some. You, you talk about experiences that you've had and in, in the experiences that Jesse and, and Mark and George, like the folks that you've mentioned, like it's the experiences we have, you know, what, what makes up a human? I mean, we can't actually put into words what makes up a human, but there's you know, the, who we are today is it's a mashup of experiences. We've had our natural nature, nurture along the way. Um, part of the, just the, our instinctual desires that we've hopefully pursued um, education and knowledge we've sought out. And it's just sort of like, and, and what I'm really with where you are now, it's, I think what's, and this is how I feel about most people. I'm, I'm so intrigued about 
where you were back when uh, that led you to having the perspective and and sort of uh, you know the character to to be who you are now. So first the comment, and then that's kind of the teaser for where I want to go. The comment is servant leadership. I really love that, and I saw that in your pre podcast sort of answer. Uh, it, it reminded me of one of the guests, and I and I know you appreciate that you've gone through the archive and, and listened to a few episodes. I don't know if you checked out the Mike Selgaro podcast, but he's the CEO of ButcherBox, and he's just like a serv- like servant leadership, like first leader. Like that is his like resting state. Is I I am serving this the individual uh, individuals at this company. Um, it's why he won't take venture capital. Uh, because he wants to be able to uphold like what he you know the, the high standard of servant leadership and and it's something that's um, been impressed upon me a bit more since doing this podcast and just as I've started to connect with people I'm slowly like uncovering like this sort of like approach that is servant leadership I would encourage listeners to kind of look into it a bit more too but I just I'm not surprised that you brought that up but I just I bring up Mike Salguero butcher box just because interesting sort of connectivity um, and kind of likeness um, between the two of you. Going back, uh, I'd love to, let's talk about the experiences you had in your youth. Uh, Let's talk about growing, where, you know, where'd you grow up? You 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 mentioned you grew up on the North shore of Boston. Where'd you grow up specifically and sort of how would you describe your childhood? And are there any interesting stories of just triumph you know, adversity that, that you faced that kind of started to make you, um, you know, the Michael Karen that we, that we, you know, we were listening to today. <laughs> I appreciate that. I pre- and I appreciate that, uh, you know, making the connection there. And I'd, I'd like to talk to you more about that, you know, after, but I think, cool. um, you know, I, lo- I love what you're doing. I love this, the, the name Boston speaks up. And I love this idea that we can sort of, you know, there's so many resources in and around this area and I just, I, I, you just tapped into some really um, amazing minds and asked some really probing questions and developed some really incredible connections for people. So, uh, you know, when you're asking me about Boston, it's just kind of got me thinking about what you're doing. And I just want to hit the pause button and tell you that I appreciate, you know, this, this venture, because I think it's really cool. So Thank you. I, yeah, you're very welcome. I, um, I start, you know, I grew up on the North Shore. I grew up in a small town called Middleton. Um, and, uh, you know, now, now that I'm talking back, my, my accent will probably come out a little thicker. My wife killed, my wife kills me. She makes fun of me. She's from Oklahoma. She makes fun of me all the time about my accent. Um, and she, <laughs> the other day I was ordering, she was with me and I was ordering a, uh, a coffee and I said, you know, pronounced properly, I'll take a large dark roast, but I said it fast. I said, I'll take a large dark roast. And the guy's like, he goes, sir, we don't serve any tacos here. And I'm like, no, large tacos. And he literally thinks I'm saying taco. And my wife's yeah. just like, you got to be kidding me right now. Like, you've yeah. got to be kidding me. Uh, but anyways, you know, um, half Irish, half Italian, all my friends, you know, it's either Irish or Italian, you know, yeah. growing up in, in Middleton. And, you know, just a rough bunch, really, really bunch of just hooligan, rough, 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 rough bunch of, of friends and characters that I grew up with and, you know, got into all kind, every kind of trouble you can possibly imagine growing up. And we were just, we were just running around, uh, you know, crazy kids. Um, but I grew up in a super competitive environment. My dad's a coach. My brother was like an extremely competitive athlete. 
Um, and he had a group of friends that were all really good athletes. And my dad was a coach. So they were the, over the house all the time. You know, my grandfather was a paver, owned a company called Colonial Paving in Beverly. Um, he was like the man in Beverly. They called him Johnny Hot Top, you know, and uh, tough as nails, you know, just, just a tough guy. And whenever you were around him, it's just like hard work was always reinforced. And, and he came and he, you know, he paved a court in our backyard for us. And, you know, we didn't have anything, but he, you know, he came and paved. And so everybody was at the house all the time because we, we had the court and it was vicious games of, you know, one-on-one, two-on-two, three-on-three, you know, all kinds of smack talking. And I mean, rarely did those games not end up in just a full out brawl. And it was just, it was mayhem. <laughs> it was may, And it was always so competitive. And there was this idea, like, like whatever you were going to get, you had to earn it. Like not, there were no handouts, nothing was going to be given to you. And part of that was, you know, just my dad being like a super competitive coach, but also like when you're, when you're playing against like, so it was like, you know, they were two years older, right? So, you know, when I was a freshman, they were juniors. When I was in sixth grade, they were in eighth grade. And so like this idea, like, you know, in in those age groups competitively in sports, like you're, there's a big gap in performance. Mm -hmm. Um, but I always felt like I should be able, like it doesn't, the age didn't matter. Like I should be able to compete. And it was just, it was just constantly up against it. It was just, I was constantly up against it all the time. And, and it was great. I look, I look back on it now and I'm like that, that taught me so much about resilience, about, um, you know, this idea that nothing's going to be handed to you. There's no freebies. You're going to have to earn it and work ethic and, you know, co- sort of now like this, this whole idea of like what you're doing in the unseen hours makes a huge difference. Well, you know, we were doing that before we, we, we didn't know what that meant. We just worked all the time. We just were never not trying to get better mm-hmm. at anything that we did. And so of course on game day, that makes a big difference, right? If you put in the work on game day, it makes a big difference. And, but we didn't think of it like that. We didn't think like, Oh, I'm, I'm working so that I can have a great day on game day. It was just, this is how it's supposed to be. And what I see now with this generation, not all, not everybody, I don't want to just like throw out a blanket statement here, but I've worked with a lot of young people over the last 20 years in the, in the different things that we do. And I, I think this message is really important. And, and, and that is just this idea that if you want something bad enough, you have to put in the work, which is a very simple idea, but it doesn't happen all the time. And there's a lot of expectations about getting things without earning things. Um, and so we learned that at a really young age. And is it fair? Is it fair to say like you're describing what would effectively be the word entitlement? Yeah, but it's not everybody because I work with a lot of young people. Yeah, and it's like, not, it doesn't have to be there, but essentially you're saying like there's, we've over indexed on entitlement where it's like you don't necessarily have to work to get stuff. A lot of young people feel that way. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Not all of them. I work with some people that are incredibly driven and, and, yeah. and, and work incredibly hard. But I think, you know, just going back to like kind of my, my upbringing, like that's really kind of, you know, what it was all about. And uh, like I said, just super competitive and challenging environment. Like not sometimes, like all the time, like yeah. the moment you woke up to the moment you went to bed. I, I, uh, I, I can relate to that just real quick. My, my brother was essentially you in this scenario where I was 19 months older than him we had a ton of really <clears throat> close friends that as we got a little older, we started getting in trouble a little bit and, <laughs> and luckily avoided trouble quite a bit. Um, but we played every day, like 
really competitively. And that was, my brother was, you know, sixth grade, we were eighth grade. He was a freshman. I was a junior. And it was like, yeah, yeah. So by the time, you know, he's in high school and I'm a junior and on, you know, varsity teams and whatnot, he was like, he had closed that gap where he's like, I can play with you guys. And it was, um, <laughs> it really helped. It really helped him out just like banging with the, with the older, older boys, you know, all the way through middle school. By the time he got to high school, it was like really carried him up, but it was definitely a sort of like, you know, you eat what you kill, you know, like you, you work for it. Um, you know, we, we share the paper route, you know, we, you know, we got, you know, whether it was, you know, money or sports. Um, but no, just, just that, that's, that's cool that you, that you had that. And I can, I can imagine that it, it probably, it helped you in a lot of ways just in the, in the immediate term of your youth, just kind of like be up a few levels. Um, yeah, and it, it, it did. And it was also like, there was always constant insults. Like yeah. it was always, everybody was making fun of you. And I, I, I had some like real serious injuries. So like when I was a sophomore in high school, I had like, my dream was to play professional sports. That was, that was where I, that's like where I thought I was going. And I had this terrible knee injury, osteochondritis desiccans, you know, deterioration of bone and cartilage. They had to like borrow bone and cartilage from different parts of my body and rebuild my knee. And they said, the doctors, the Boston children's like, you're not not only are you not going to play sports again, but you're not going to walk properly again. So the only reason I bring that up, right, is because like the insults, the other people talking negatively about you, a doctor, a professional, when you're yeah. young, you know, if you're 15 years old, you're not going to play sports again. Like the, there are messages that are always going to be delivered to you. And the importance is intentionally cultivating the message that you deliver to yourself. So the story, there's always, for, for the rest of our lives, today, stories are being told about us. But what is the story that you are intentionally cultivating for yourself? And are you focused on controlling your internal dialogue? Because what I learned from all that was like, I had to block that out and I had to get really good at controlling my internal dialogue. And even then I was like, no, I, I am going to play sports again. I'm going to control, I'm going to control every single controllable that I can, right? Mm -hmm. So like, when I go to bed, when I wake up, like studying kinesiology yeah. and exercise science and rehabilitation and getting in, like when physical therapy, it closed, you know, the, the place closed or, or I would have my session from three to five, but it didn't close till, you know, eight or nine. So can I stay in the back and continue to do these, you know, exercises while I'm still here? I would stay till the whole by myself in the corner. So it's like, that's a controllable, right? Like I can, I can work and I can put in the time and put in the effort and that can make a difference. That can, like the term you used with your brother was like closing the gap. That can close, whatever the gap is, right? The performance mm -hmm. gap, where am I at today? Where can I be tomorrow? So this idea of like locus of control and internal dialogue and mental imaging and visualization mm -hmm. and journaling, like I was mm -hmm. doing those things then because mm -hmm. I was trying to like cultivate this process because I felt like everything was sort of like working against me and I think what happened was I really started to understand the power of now and the possibility of yes. Mm -hmm. I love that. Um, talk to me a little bit more. Vis um, visualizing, visualizations, uh, it's something that, and I'm curious if this is like how I interpret that is, is immediately doing what I do, which is relate to it. So if I, like when I, was training for the 70.3 Ironman and for any of the triathlons I've done at any levels or like races, like, or like when I was really, I was still playing competitive soccer in LA just a couple of years ago. And so if it was like the Saturday night before the Sunday soccer game, or it was like the weeks, you know, I'm, I'm in weeks five of my 16 week, like training program leading up to the Ironman. When I lay down at night and close my eyes, I do 
kind of two things. The first thing I do is I evaluate my day and my interactions with humans and was like, where, where could I have been better? So that's the first thing I do. And then the second thing I do is I visualize the future. And I usually have a goal or a few goals and I sort of visualize the success. So I visualize myself on a soccer field doing my spin move, you know, move, move, shoot, score. Like just I do a little bit of that. And then I visualize myself like in the transition in the transition from the swim to the bike and just like breathing in the air and like stopping and soaking it in. And I'm like telling myself, like, just make sure you like are present and appreciating like what you're what you're going through. Uh, that's sort of, so that's my, when I, when I heard you say like visual using sort of vision and visual visualization, um, I'm just curious, like, you know, is that, is that kind of a similar, a similar way that you would kind of, and and I I did that at a young age too. And, (laughs) and it's interesting, not everyone does that, but I was sort of doing that same thing before like high school basketball games and whatnot. Like, let me, let me visualize like myself, like, banging down low with the (laughs) six, eight kids from central Catholic and like throwing in a couple hoops. And I was, I wasn't a scorer in high school, but when I, I, it was funny, I did, I I do those visualizations and I went played against the towers at central Catholic. And like, I got my, my two baskets under the hoop and I'm like, I visualized this shit. Yeah. 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 So, so yeah, I I love that. Moved them off the, get down low, move them off the block a little bit, get them out of their comfort zone on the court. So yeah. So what we're doing in this process, and this is something that we focus on at all of our events, all of our retreats, we help people understand the power of mental visualization. And what we're doing is we're developing inner congruity and self-empowerment to manifest what is happening inside in the outside world. And it's interesting because what we've learned and what we've realized is that the likeliness of it happening is that much stronger when we actually spend the time to visualize with as much detail as possible. So the key here is detail, right? So it's, it's sights, mm. it's sounds, it's imagery, it's, it's painting that picture, right? It's like, you know, this whole idea of tubular rasa, this blank slate, and now I bring in the paintbrush and now I, I start to develop that, you know, and, and people say it's cheesy and all this different stuff, but there is power to vision boards. There is power to all of this, right? And so with, with, with regards to mental visualization and imagery, we want to bring in as much of a sensory experience within our mind and within our heart as we possibly can. And so that's, you know, Sun Tzu, the art of war, the battle's won before it's ever even fought. It's this idea of embracing mental power and then manifesting it in the real world. And so, you know, what does a win look like for you? What is important to you? You want to cultivate and win your day. Well, you know, it's this idea like Monday through Friday, it shouldn't be like the torture zone. And then I'm so excited about Saturday and Sunday. It's like, I want to be jacked about it. Like I've been jacked about this interview like ever since we started talking about it, like I'm super excited to be here and to be present with you right now. But what does a win look like for you? Like, what does that mean on your own clearly defined terms? And so, you know, part of our process is intentionally cultivating the space to discover your purpose, right? What matters to you, what's meaningful to you, you know, your passion, right? Like what lights you up unabashedly, you know, it's like, what are you naturally drawn towards, And then your principles, like what do you want to take a stand on? What are you morally and ethically bound to? And when you have clarity around that, you can start to really own in on what are the wins, what matters to me. And now let's let's visualize it. Let's see it. Let's stoke the fire through the process of mental visualization. And then when it's already there inside you, it's like whatever that is, you're you are attacking it with like this vigor and this vision. And people are drawn in because they feel your energy. 
and people start to come into your circle, right? And when you have people that are hunting on the same mission as you and you've got momentum, it's like now you've got something going. But that stuff doesn't happen on accident. Like if, if when you go into an interview, it's not accidental that you have these great conversations on Boston Speaks Up. It's been done with intentionality. You've built it up. Like it's, and it's an awesome process. I've loved listening and I'm happy to be a part of it right now. And you know, for us at Get Early, when we go into an event, it's not like, like we have, we're like, we are on fire. Like we are bringing such levels of intention and passion that it's not accidental that we, we, we have the opportunity to make deep and, and lasting connections. So, uh, you know, I know you asked me a simple question about visualization, but it's a little bit of, for me, it's a complex answer because so yeah. much goes into it and there's so much power in it. That's cool. Uh, there's a couple observations I want to make. Uh, your your, your gratitude and encouragement is appreciated. Um, I feed off a short list of things in life, uh, love, gratitude, appreciation, encouragement, um, and just the multiple times that you've just been expressing, you know, gratitude for being on, being here, being present. Um, and just the appreciation and encouragement that you've given me already, just like in this conversation, like that's really neat. I think that that's, something that certainly not trying to preach to, to listeners. I just think in general, like it's just a, it's a lovely thing. It's a lovely way to approach life. And I think it helps the, the sort of like the giver, like the sender of that. Like it, I certainly feel good when I tell people I appreciate them and express gratitude, but I feel really good when people express it my way and I like to acknowledge it. So thank you. Um, uh, I'm really curious how Michael Karen growing up with his competitive life in Middleton, um, avoiding trouble when you could, uh, ends up living the life you're living now, having trained with Navy SEALs. Like what was like what were your prospects when you graduated high school? What'd you do? Um, I know, you know, I'd love to touch on sort of the journey like out of Middleton. And in particular, I mean, I, when I was graduating from Boston University, I could just kind of relate real quick to, to part of the story I want you to share with, with me and listeners. You, you did Teach for America, which is something I applied for and was very into and really wanted to do. Uh, at the time I did it, I think the acceptance rate was even lower than like getting into Harvard. Um, I did not make a final cut for Teach for America. And, <laughs> and uh, it's really impressive just to sort of like, get through that narrow funnel. Um, and you also did this, you know, uh, uh, was it a semester? Sem uh, semester at sea. Yeah. yeah. Okay, cool. So talk about some of the, the journeys that like, what were you like wh when you were 17, 18, what were you like? All right. Were you, had you battled back and you were like, I still, I'm, gonna, I'm still going to be a professional athlete. Like, where was your head at? And like, how did you kind of get on, onto those sort of like, global journeys that you that you then went on i'm so glad i I'm, i really appreciate you asking this question and I, I love having the opportunity to talk about this because i feel like it has the opportunity to uh, impact and, and and possibly connect with listeners and i've been very fortunate to be on a lot of podcasts and i've never been asked this this question so thank you for asking it um it's in, it's it, i'll try to sort of bridge the gap as fast as i can here um so the so what I, talk, what I was talking about before was this idea that 
when we can intentionally cultivate the voice, our inner dialogue, our internal dialogue, you know, the messages that are delivered to us versus the message we deliver to ourselves. Like, I cannot stress that enough to, to your listeners, how important that is. Um, and, and try to become incredibly aware of that. When, when, when I've seen people become aware and kind of hit the pause button and be aware of like, you know, especially with social media's double-edged sword, right? You know, so many people that have developed a sense of self-worth that is dependent on what others think, say, or feel, how they react, how they like, you know, and look, companies are doing this on purpose. It's a dopamine hit, but we've got to be aware of that, right? We've got to be intentionally aware of, is my sense of self-worth dependent on what others think, say, or feel, or is it independent of that? And is it grounded in me discovering through some deep inner work, my purpose, my passion, and my principles. And I think that's really important. And the only reason I bring that up to bridge the gap of the journey is because I became fascinated with what that process allowed me to do. So you said, you know, did you continue playing? Yes. After being told I would never walk again, I ended up, and this was, you know, my freshman year, you won't walk again. Oh, 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 yes, yes, I will. <laughs> and I, I worked like crazy. I mean, I can't even begin to explain to you how hard I worked at that. And I just shut everything else out, you know, and that was my number one focus. And I learned about the power of focus, the power of intention, the power of work ethic, the power of believing in yourself, the power of enhancing your knowledge. Like I said, I was constantly diving into books about exercise science and kinesiology. And you wonder why I work in the fitness world now. Well, so what happened was people were like, wow, people were sort of blown away. And I realized the power of impact. Mm. And again, servant leadership, leading by example, like sort of people around me, like that were going to parties and drinking and like, you know, unfortunately, God rest their souls. A lot of people I grew up with are, are you know, no longer with us or they're, or they're behind bars. I chose a different path. That doesn't mean that I, you know, wouldn't, you know, judge them or anything of that nature. I just chose a different path. And what I noticed what happened is people started to kind of gravitate and, and ask questions and what's that about? And, you know, why doesn't Mike Karen drink? Why doesn't Mike Karen like go to the parties? Like, what's he, kind of what's he, what's, what's this all about? And it wasn't for them, but I started to notice the power of, of impact and by like, like leading by example. And I, and I enjoyed it. I enjoyed that process. And so for me, I came back, I started, you know, three different sports. I was one of like the few people in my high school to get like this silver cup award, whatever that, whatever that means. You know, it's just, I, I played, I played a lot of sports and I did very well in high school. Right. But at that point it was like, I learned this valuable lesson about, about intentionally cultivating your internal dialogue and embracing your inner strength and how that could move you to do things that, I mean, quite literally a medical professional told me was impossible. So I thought I started thinking at a young age really about like, what is the art of possibility and how might I be able to encourage and help people to embrace their art of possibility. And so it was that seed was planted. I didn't know where that was going to take me. I just knew I wanted to create more impact. So I went off to school, yeah, Plymouth State College. Now it's Plymouth State University up in the White Mountains. And I just became fascinated with like, outdoor adventure and leadership and hiking. I mean, I was in between classes. I was going on hikes. I was outside nice. all the time. And, you know, my, my sports ear, my sports career, like I played football my freshman year and it just, it wasn't, it wasn't where my mental space was at. And I just embraced outdoor recreation and I embraced being outside. And I just sort of started to think about like, what's, what's the next step? You know, how can I create this impact that I want to create? And I, I switched my major over and over again. I was searching. That was a time period of really yeah. searching. 
And I found this program semester at sea. And like I alluded to earlier in the podcast, like I don't, I come from nothing. Like there's no, you know, uh, everything that I was doing was a hundred percent on my own. Um, so I'm like, how am I going to, how, this is such a cool program, but like, how could I pay for this? How could I afford this? So I started like two years ahead, right? Like you go back yeah. to that, that journey yeah. of my injury, right? Like work ethic, discipline, study, reading, figuring things out. If there's a will, there's a way like, and so anyways, I applied, I got in, I got the whole entire thing paid for through grants and scholarships and all the stuff that I did. And it was, it was my world just exploded, right? I get on, uh, I fly out to um, Seattle. I take a bus to Vancouver, British Columbia. I start meeting other students, 750 students and faculty. Every faculty that's on the ship has to have a PhD in their subject and have lived in at least two of the countries on the itinerary, which was Japan, China, Vietnam, Malaysia, India, Kenya, South Africa, Brazil, Cuba. So I get on with this fascinating faculty and student body from everywhere and conversations and digging in deep and learning about different ways of sort of like quite literally living, right? So studying religions of the world, studying philosophies of the world, like international relations, international relations, political science, like just really diving in and looking at like, how does the rest of the world sort of like operate? And it just opened up everything to me, like spending time in those countries, spending time with those people, you know, it just, it reinforced my desire to want to create massive impact, Um, especially traveling to, you know, like I had, I had never seen real like in-depth poverty, you know, and being up, up front and in close with that, uh, it just, it opens up something in your heart and in your soul and in your mind and you cha- and you become changed as a result of it. So when I came back from that, I was just, I was a different person. And that's was that I, your junior year. So that what was year? my last year, my last semester. Year. Okay. I finished last on the semester. ship. I yeah. graduated on the ship. So I was like, I'm done. I came back. Yeah. I was like, I'm done. I just saw the world. We docked in, yeah. uh, in New Orleans, like right before Christmas. We had, this, I mean, imagine yeah. Yeah. at that age, 750 yeah. students of faculty getting off a ship after traveling the world in New Orleans. Yeah. It was it's 21 years old. Come on. It was, it was, it was a very good time. And there was so much spirit and energy uh, with everybody. And it was like, what are we going to, that was the big question. Like, so what now? Right. We just had this fascinating experience and, and I just was, so that's, that's what connected to Teach for America. So I was like, yeah. you know, there were all these opportunities because I made these great connections with professors to do some things overseas and to be engaged in like, you know, Peace Corps. I just wanted, you know, big impact, big impacts where my mind was, right? So I go home though. And again, so I get that. That's, there's now there's the low. It's like, I don't have any money. I don't come from anything. So I go, yeah. I have this idea. I'm going to do, you know, I'm going to do something big, but I go into just, I'm like, how can, how can I, so I, I hit the street hard, like boiler room style sales. I get in, I get in with the company. We're doing this like telecom boom. We're doing T1 lines. We're doing, you know, uh, this is like voice over IP, like that, that whole era when that was like a big thing. And I was, you know, hitting the phones hard, cold, smiling and dialing, book your own appointment, set your own appointments, go in, button up. Like you talked about, like, I remember on one of your podcasts, you were talking about like, there is that process where you got to button up and, and yeah. lock it in. And then maybe later, maybe you don't have to do that, but you learn a lot, presentation skills, you're grinding, you know, driving all over the state. And I, I just learned so much. And I remember like, I kind of quietly was applying to Teach for America. Nobody really knew. Mm-hmm. 
I get in and you said like that interview process was crazy, right? Like yeah. it it was like a five interviews. We're at the we're in the Prudential Center, top of the hub, and we're interviewing, and I'm just like, and I'm just I'm just like we're talking now. I'm bringing the passion, I'm bringing the energy, I'm talking about impact and like where did you go to school? You know, Harvard, Yale, MIT, yeah. Brown. Plymouth State, like what? Yeah, they're like, who is this guy? Uh, so I don't know how they let me in, but they did. And um, I remember going back to my, so I was, you know, everything was on the board back then. Like you were, it was super competitive, say, like I said, boiler room style. So your sales, everything was, everybody knew where where you were. Like it was all on the board. So I was in, it was like an office, it was in Cambridge. It was like 50 sales reps and I was number one. The month that I decided I was going, I was the number one sales rep in the in the company. And I remember my sales manager was like, are you out of your effing mind? Do you know how much money you'll make if you stay here? He's like, what are you, Gandhi? What are you going to go save the kids? And I'm like, uh, yeah, actually. That's the goal. <laughs> and, yeah. And uh, well, in, in reality, they saved me. But um, it nice. it was so anyways, that then then I went in, you know, so but it was good. I learned a lot about sales. I learned a lot about presentation skills. I was able to make some money to support myself in the transition from Boston to Houston. Teach for America ended up placing me. It's all really based on need. So they placed me in Houston. For your audience that may not be familiar, the whole mission statement of Teach for America is bridge the achievement gap between disadvantaged and advantaged students in our country. And, you know, where you're born in this country should not dictate your opportunities educationally and and or in life. And so that was sort of the, the mission and the goal. So I went two years and I taught in the fifth ward in Houston, Texas. Uh, and that, what was that like? Oh man. So big perspective switcher again, you know, I had been a minority for short periods of time, but I had never lived as a minority. I was the only white person, teacher, or student in the entire school. And I learned a ton, you know, living as a minority for two years, I learned so much about myself. Uh, and it was so, you know, that my accent, it was so funny too. Cause the, the kids, they were like, I had a student whose name pronounced properly was Arthur Carter. It's calling his role every day. Atacada, Atacada, Atacada. So I mocked him absent like first three or four days of school. And he's like, they called my name pronounced properly as Karen, but in, down in, down in Houston, Mr. K-Ron, Mr. K-Ron, I think you said my name. Wrong. And I'm like, what? I'm sorry. I'm so sorry. What, what is-? He's like, Arthur Carter. And I'm like, Arthur, I'm so sorry, but I will work on that. Pronouncing your name right. I'm so sorry. But they were like so fascinated. Right. Cause first of all, I'm white. I got this thick accent, like, where are you from? Where's, you know, and I'm like pulling out the map and showing them Boston. And it just, it, it, I had a student ask me what kind of currency do they use where you're from? And it just all of a sudden sort of light bulb went off just about like, look, if you grew up in, in a certain area and you never left like a, like a few block radius of your area and you, it, it, it brought my mind up to this like exposure. And this idea that when we're exposed to life beyond what we experience, doors can open that were previously closed mentally, physically, spiritually, socially, and emotionally. And it's so important that we can open those doors for the power of choice, the power of possibility. And so in my two years, it was like, okay, well, how can I open as many doors as possible? And how can I uh, establish this growth mindset where it's like, you know, Carol Dweck talks about this, you know, the pioneer of growth mindset, this idea of not yet, like maybe I haven't arrived at this place, but just, it's just not yet. Like, well, I'm going to get there. Um, and so two years, everything was measured by the Texas assessment of knowledge and skills, which much like in Massachusetts is like the MCAST, not that I'm Mm -hmm. a big believer in standardized tests, but that's how sort of things were measured. And so when I came in less than 15% had passed when I left over 95% had passed. And I have, I have a funny story about that though. (laughs) 
so that it was all, it was all about like diving in. And like I said, the power of possibility. I mean, I had kids, choose your own book. We're reading our own books. We're talking about our own books. I had kids reading Shakespeare, sixth to eighth grade. This is what the great I read kids reading Shakespeare. We're having conversations where we created this whole system of using vocabulary words for the week and using them in like poetry slams and we had freestyle Fridays and you would, people would come up and bust a flow and would be, you know, creating a rhythm and tapping our pencils. And if you used those words in the, like the, like a meaningful context that were part of the vocabulary, like that was what the scoring system was based on. And so nice. people would hold up cards, like, you know, like you do in like, you know, at the Olympics, like, or whatever, like that's a 10 or that's a, you know, and we had this whole voting system and, People got fired up about it and they were excited. It wasn't like, oh, this guy, it was like, let's go, let's go, Mr. K. You know, they used to, Mr. K. Ron, what are we doing? Mr. K. Ron. Yeah, Mr. (laughs) K. Ron, we're about to get crunk up in here. That's what they always used to say. It was crazy. We had such a good time. And so, um, what happened was I, I said, what, what will motivate you? Like what, in addition to everything we're doing in here, you're all working so hard. Like what else is going to be the thing? And so I had, I had long hair back then. Like this was my crazy time period. And they're like, Mr. K. Ron, we want to put your hair in cornrows. If we get, if we pass, I said, yeah. So everybody in my class passed, like a hundred percent passed, but like a super high percentage got in like the 95th percentile of like the test. Right. So like everybody passed. So I told him like, that's the thing. So it's so funny. Cause like the ending story is the last day of school. When we get the results back, they, you know, braided, put my hair in cornrows. And I walked out my last day of my two year commitment with teach for America in cornrows. And in it was cornrows. just like this sort of like you got pictures of that. Very, yeah, well, I don't, there might be some floating around. I don't know if we're going to let those be released. <laughs> but like, it was just like this cool, like, I, I remember getting in my car and looking at myself in the mirror and just thinking like, wow, what a two-year journey. Like, it was just kind of capped it off. And That's amazing. Um, do, do you, just a quick question, do, do you have any relationships that's stuck with some of the students from then or, or, or just people from, that you were with in Houston at that period in your life? Yeah, so the the lawyer for get burly my my legal staff is uh one of my fellow colleague teachers who went into law brilliant brilliant man uh and you know we we connect all the time so i still go out to texas and run some events out there i still connect with you know people that i taught with i still am in touch with some of the students from that time period just kind of you know what's happened where are you at now those sorts of things and it's just it's really cool so that's, that's amazing. So I like, know that I know that. See, I said I would make it short, but that's, that's from from high school to that to Teach for America. That's yeah. the shortest way I could sort of take take the time it. take the time you need. No, that that's <laughs> that's an amazing that's an amazing journey so far. Now, all right, so you're finished. You you finished uh, Teach for America. Uh, you you kept the cornrows maybe for a minute, <laughs> um, and then and then what was and then what was next? Like, did you had you been envisioning sort of like at what point maybe was it, you know, at going into year two, like, was there a point where you were like, okay, the way that I've kind of galvanized this crew of students and what I'm doing here, like there's something here, this is where mm-hmm. I'm most alive and, and feel like this is my purpose. So when do you start kind of like working your vision board physically or mentally toward like what the next thing was after Teach for America? Yeah. So I, you know, it's like, I've always been kind of that like bootstrap and self-made, like I'm going to, you know, so, and I've always been very like, you know, independent in my thinking about how I would create and how I would like establish uh, financial security even. And so I was, the, the early seeds were planted for Get Burly then for sure in, in semester at sea and in, in, in Teach for America. Um, 
but I, I, and I was after that, after I, I was halfway across the country. So I was just traveling around. I was, again, I kind of went into a little bit of a search mode where I was trying to figure things out. I was out in California. Um, was your hair still long? Surfing. Perfect. You know, Get to California, know. the long hair. Yeah, surf, I was yeah. journaling. I was journaling <laughs> on the beach. I was, I was really like, you know, I was, I was trying to figure out the next step. My grandfather, unfortunately, passed away, went back to Boston to, to uh, you know, attend the, the services and, and, you know, connect with family and things of that nature. And, um, you know, it's like, again, like, I got I to gotta make some money, <laughs> you know, it's, it's a real. So uh, I went back to the sales thing for a little while. Got my Series 7, got my Series 63, became a licensed broker, uh, was an internal wholesaler for Boston Capital um, and did that, did very well, did that for like a year. And again, sort of like behind the scenes, I was getting certified to be a teacher in Massachusetts. Um, so it was crazy. A lot of testing during that time period because I was, I was taking my Series 7, my Series 63. Uh, Texas did not have reciprocity with Massachusetts at the time, so my teaching licenses didn't carry over. So I had to get my licenses in Massachusetts. And so then slowly I randomly, right. Coincidence, no coincidences. I bump into like an old coach at a gas station and he's like, Hey, what are you doing now? I was telling about teach for America. Boss. He's like, we got an opening at our school. We got coaching positions open. So I go back in teaching and coaching. And, um, what school is it? Uh, this was it. This was in Middleton at the, at the, at the, at the now it's Essex tech yeah. at the tech school. Yeah. I'm working with vocational kids that love getting their hands dirty. And I'm, yeah. and again, I sort of have that same moment again, where it's like, at, I'm at Boston Capitol, like I'm doing well. The areas I were covering were Texas and Florida. Like I was, you know, I had worked to earn those areas and it's like, uh, wait a minute, what are you, where are you, what are you doing again? But you know, it's like the path and you know, there are many ways to success and there's many ways to measure success. And I, for me personally, I have to feel aligned with my work from a spiritual and purposeful place. Um, and so, Long story short, I started to do that. And again, I needed more, you know, I loved coaching. I loved it, but it was like, there's got, there's, there's gotta be more, um, you know, so how can I put all these things together? How can I take these? So, uh, long story short, I ended up coaching 40 seasons of high school sports, multiple championships, you know, coached in Gillette, coached in the Boston garden, never coached at Fenway, but at least I got to Gillette in the garden. Um, and I just took all of those experiences, Teach for America, Semester at Sea, you know, um, all of the coaching stuff. And I said, what's, okay, this is great. This is take, what's the next level, right? So then it's like I connected with Joe DeSena, the founder of Spartan Race. And I connected with Mark Devine, the founder of like uh, Seal Fit in the Unbeatable Mind program. And I just dove in as hard as I could, Spartan and Seals. And it was like just combining like mm. mental, physical, spiritual, so like all of it. And it, you know, of course the ideas are dwindling. They're, they're percolating. Like, how can I put all of this into something where I can impact people in a way that sort of like resonates with me and comes from, you know, the inside out. And, you know, I learned a lot from the Navy SEALs. I trained with, with Spartan and the SEALs for, you know, 10 years consistently, um, you know, going out to California and doing all kinds of crazy Spartan races and working together with CEO of, of Spartan Joe to, to run a few events and even pulled both together actually. Uh, Spartan and Seal Fit and ran an event in Vermont, sort of like combining those two oh, worlds cool. and get burly. And it was like this beautiful like collaboration. Um, and so I just said, what can, you know, how can I take all this and create the most impact? And really that's what get burly was born out of. So we're about eight years in now, uh, eight years ago, I started it and it's just been this sort of amazing journey of, um, 
finding authentic ways to bring this impact to people. And like I said, in the beginning of the show, really that's been through, you know, um, performance coaching, you know, executive performance coaching, fitness coaching, and then the, the uh, large scale retreats that we run. And it's been so fun. I've learned so much along the way and it just feels like it's work that's grounded from the inside out. And I'm just thankful that I had some experiences that, you know, uh, let me pull this thing together in a meaningful way. I love it. I want to experience one of your um, retreats. Really, like I want to kind of go full immersive um, and be a part of let's be a go. part of something. Yeah, let's go. <laughs> well, because I, it's it not. I would say I was about to say. Well, not for everyone to like be in movement while like improving mindfulness. Although I would argue, like I don't know if there's any human on the planet that wouldn't benefit from a combination of movement and and physical exertion beyond what they normally think they can do and Mm -hmm. like sort of socialization and 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 communication and and embracing vulnerability like when you combine physical and and mindfulness and it's something special there like i i tend to have some of my most productive like brainstorms like talk about visualizations like i go on a lot of runs and i you know as you you mentioned like from other podcasts like i'll or i'll or or even when i go on a walk with my dog like i kind of change it up and it's not to say that i don't go into my mind like it's nice to get away from devices get away from the phone a computer uh but it's nice to kind of go upstairs into one's mind be in movement and then dial into like a specific thing and you know, presence isn't just about being present with other individuals. It's about being present with yourself. And I love being present with myself. And, and, and some of the way, the, the way I'm, I'm able to be most present with myself and most present with items that are on the long list of things that I really want to progr- you know, improve upon. It's, it's, it's when I'm in movement and it's when I'm, it's when I'm running, it's, it's when I'm sort of like exercising. It's when I'm challenging myself. So uh, I just want to like share that because I really personally relate to sort of like the the kind of mashup that, that you've pulled together. Um, and, and I also have a, a question, which is of all the sort of different certifications you've done and the different trainings you've done, like my assumption would be like, was like the Navy SEAL training the most difficult? And if so, like how and why, but like what, what, what's been the most challenging sort of mental and physical training you've done on this, on this journey? That's a good question. Um, it's it, it intuitively, when you first said that question, I went to this like yoga certification program that I went through, which was challenging in a, in a very different way. Um, and the, the interesting thing, this was a separate certification um, that was like a teacher training certification that I went through. But uh, in addition to that, um, one of the things I love about Mark Devine's Unbeatable Mind and Seal Fit programs is that he brings in, um, there's a term that we often talk about, and I'm, I'm a certified you know, Seal Fit coach and a certified Unbeatable Mind coach. And I bring into the, those practices into you know the one-on-one coaching that I do, and, and of course at our events. But one of the, the philosophies um, that that Mark and sort of the unbeatable mind team embraces is this idea of Kokoro, which is Japanese term for the merging of your heart and mind. And he sort of established this Kokogo, Kokoro yoga practice. So at all the seal fit things, like there's so, there's so, you know, you get wet, you get sandy, you, do, you know, you do all these different things and it, it's all challenging, but 
I feel like the commitment um, mentally, spiritually in the, in the yoga, it takes you to a place that, you know, it, mm. it is, you know, can be very, it's, it's, it's interesting, right? Because you, in yoga, your the idea is, you know, to be able to relax into the poses. And if you're grimacing or sort of like, you know, changing your facial structure, like there's, there's a problem there. You got to like ease up. Um, but to get to a place where you kind of work through those problems. And one of the things that I've found, like, mm even it's, it's physical, but it's mental, it's spiritual, it's emotional is, you know, getting through those things. Like I'll, I'll power through. I mean, if you, if you, if you said like, go run a hundred mile race tomorrow, I'll finish it. I'll, 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 yeah. I will do it. But to get to the place where you're like operating fluidly and you have mm. great range of motion and mm. you're, you're, you know, you're in this place where you can, you can move fluidly and you understand your body and you're really listening to your body. Well, like for me personally, on my journey, I have had to work more at that because the way I work, like, I, I mean, the way I work out is most people think is, is, is insane. But, and so the challenge for me is like, that would just lead to injury. Like I, it's not a matter of like pushing myself. It's a matter of learning to, to kind of dial it back in. And so for me, that, that sort of, those spaces have been more challenging than the like, you know, see how, you know, do 300 burpees for time. And, you know, those, you know, those sorts of things, not that those aren't challenging. I'm not trying to say that. It's just that, you know, for me personally, in the, in those certifications is, is learning about balance and learning about inner congruity and learning about like, you know, and, and now there's companies that are dialing into that. Like one of our great partnerships, like it really is with whoop and whoop does an amazing job of helping people to dial that in. And eventually I think you develop an internal compass, but sometimes technology can help us dial in sleep and recovery and when to sort of pull back and when to go hard. And, you know, I think in, in the long term, we can learn both from an athletic perspective and from an executive performance perspective that when we start to understand um, recovery and when we're at our best, like one of the things I always have people that I work with, like try to look at whether it's via, you know, whoop or, or some other device or just an internal compass. Like, where are you at today? Like, what's your recovery score? Like, are you at hundred percent? Are you at 90%? Are you at 80%? And people start to get dialed into the point where whether it's on a device or not, they can predict it because they know how they feel. And so then you can reverse engineer. Well, what did I do to feel that way? Right. So what, what happened sort of in the days leading up to, you know, 85%? or, or a hundred percent or 50%. And then we can sort of reverse engineer and start to make some changes to help us dial it in. Um, but for that's me, interesting. I, yeah, that's really interesting. Uh, do you, do you wear a whoop? I, I have, um, have I was one of the, the founding members. Um, so I got in super early yeah. with whoop and they, they have their fourth edition coming out now. So I'm pretty excited about that. Nice. And what's the, the sort of work that you're doing with whoop? Cause whoop's quite a bit of a darling, certainly in that it's a sort of like, a well-established consumer facing sort of fitness company, um, out of Boston that like last year they won like a new England venture capital association award for like top consumer tech company. So listeners should, should be familiar with whoop. I'm curious, sort of like your work with whoop. Yeah. So if, if listeners aren't familiar, it's a recovery wearable, it doesn't have a face to it. Like you would like with like, you know, some other products. Um, but it's, you know, it's tied in, you know, to, to your, to an app on your phone. And, you know, it, it helps you to, it gives you a recovery score. So like, if you're in the green, it's go, you know, if you're in the yellow, we're going to pause. If you're in the red, like maybe it's time to stop. And it factors in considerations like, um, your resting heart rate, your heart rate vari variability, which is kind of like the amount of time between beats, which is like a, a really interesting sort of, uh, health and wellness measurement that really, uh, 
is important when you're looking at uh, when it's time to push versus when it's time to reel it in. Um, it's measuring like deep levels of sleep and, and sort of like your sleep patterns. And it's putting all these into a formula and then spitting out a score. And I found it to be very helpful just to help me sort of dial in. I want, look, if I'm, if I'm doing a Spartan race or if I'm talking to you, whatever it is that I'm doing, I want to be locked in. I want to be dialed in. I want to be at my best. And it's helped me to sort of be at my best. And so early on when they started, like, you know, a lot of the work I do it still to this day is in Cambridge. I'm in Cambridge all the time. Um, I was working with a group of athletes yesterday afternoon in Cambridge. And, you know, it's, it's a, you know, Willem, the founder, Willem Ed's a, you know, a Harvard guy. And, you know, like they were looking, they were like sleep deprived and, and, and trying to perform when they were at Harvard and, and trying to figure things out. And like, what's going on here? Like, I'm, we're not, how do we, how do we dial this in? Like, you know, you think of a, an average student that's like hitting the books hard and, and studying and, and trying to perform at their best. And like, how do you, like, where's the balance in all this? And so I just made some connections early on um, through my good friend, Ben Greenfield. Maybe your listeners know Ben Greenfield Fitness. He's a pretty cool guy. We've done a lot of work together over the years. And, um, you know, just kind of met um, with with some of their people in Boston early on when they were starting, told them about Gip Early. And I mean, the mission state of Gip Early is to empower people to become the best version of themselves. And Whoop is a tool that helps you optimize that. So there was a very natural synergy and connection early on. And that collaboration has sort of taken many forms over the years. Um, but, you know, most simply and directly, we can provide people with a nice little discount if they're interested in it. I love talking to people about it because I believe in the product. Um, I use it personally. And a lot of the people that are on the Get Burly team, the dedication to Burly Nation, uh, you know, yeah. <laughs> yeah. give myself a little plug there, uh, are using Whoop to help dial. Nice. Like, like guys like like Jesse and whatnot, like some of your, some of your people? Um, you know, I think Jesse's probably on the internal compass right now. He's so advanced in his <laughs> yeah. sort of, uh, you know, but, you know, there's a lot of athletes that I work with that are, that are using it, um, you know, on a consistent basis. And, uh, you know, executive athletes as well that are just looking to kind of dial in performance, you know, in the workspace. So I think it's helpful in, in both realms. Nice. Um, and what it's really helped me to dial in is to understand, like, like there are signals that you kind of start to pay attention to. So like that one drink and what, what time you drink it at, that alone makes a huge difference. Like what you're eating, when you're eating, how you're eating, like quite literally your recovery score can be significantly impacted by how fast you eat versus mindful eating. Um, so just small things to start to pay attention to. Mm. And it's helped me in my practice as, you know, performance coach to ask pointed questions and to uh, help people to uh, kind of, look at their habits and routines and see where they might want to make some changes to optimize. Nice. We'll have to, uh, we'll continue this conversation offline. Cause I want to pick your brain more about whoop I'm intrigued. I have some buddies who are like executive sort of athletes, like, or, and, and one is like not so much of like an athlete and he's not like doing a ton of exercise, but he's just like really into like optimizing and getting, you know, getting insights to optimize um, healthy habits and, really i'm i'm intrigued um yeah so, let's yeah. dial it in baby yeah we'll have to dial we'll have to dial we'll have to dial that in so one I would, like before like you know as we're kind of getting towards the end here um mm-hmm. there's a the last question that i've been asking uh listeners uh asking uh guests and it's and it's something that listeners have been enjoying and my my production coordinator had this suggestion a few episodes back but sort of like a your recommendation to listeners, it's like kind of like a challenge, like something to do, something to think about. 
And spoiler alert, I'm going to share it and then have you kind of respond, but I'm going to share it and relate to it. So you, you basically said like, write your obituary and like, you know, like don't get all, and I, I actually similarly, like I think in terms of like a tombstone, like, like in sort in sort of like, and I, and just legacy, like, and it's morbid. And I know like maybe people don't love this exercise, but, uh, when I'm living my life, I'm always like the sort of North star for me is sort of like my daughter. And it's sort of like the legacy I leave behind for her. Like, and it's what other people, like other people are going to sort of like communicate your legacy, you know, how, how you impressed upon yourself on others. Um, you know, mm-hmm. for me, like I literally like want, it to just be you know, Zach was, you know, was loved by many and loved many um, humans. Like that's like, that's sort of, uh, and, and sort of thinking about like the hundred word obit is, is an interesting way to think about it. So I, I just, can you unpack that a little bit and kind of share, like share that t- challenge with listeners of like how to be thinking about their life now um, so that they don't have regrets later? Yeah. So, you know, how do you want to be remembered? And I think when we, when we, when we go to that, that place, we, we can sort of, again, reverse engineer, which is a a term that uh, we use a lot in the entrepreneurial space. We can reverse engineer and discover, are we living our life in accordance with our highest ideals? And, and if not, right, let's have the courage and the intestinal fortitude to look into the mirror without tilting the mirror and make the necessary changes in order to do so. And it's so important that we do that. And so, you know, I told you earlier about my grandfather and I'm going to try not to get emotional right now, but my grandfather is, is quite literally in the process of dying. Um, and we've, you know, my family's been spending time with them and it's, it's the natural sort of landscape of life, but it's brought things into sort of stark. He was, like I said, this figure, the strong figure, Johnny hot top, colonial paving, a man about Beverly um, and my best friend. Uh, Ryan Andrews died of brain cancer after a 10 year battle. I was with him to the very end. Uh, every, every single thing that he went through, I was quite literally holding in his hand the moment he died, introduced him to his wife, introduced him to his son. Um, and so, you know, death has been, you know, part of my life. I could, I could share other stories, but the only reason I, I share those two is this idea that like, let's, let's live with intentionality and not to say that your listeners aren't, I'm sure many of them are because of the people that naturally gravitate towards you. Um, but just in general, let's gravitate towards intentionality and let's, let's make sure that, you know, when, when we do an exercise like this, and if it's, if it's too stark for you to think of it that way, you can just simply ask yourself the question, how do I want to be remembered? And when we unpack this exercise, um, we can start to think about like, am I living in accordance with that? And it's okay if you're not like, don't, there's no reason to beat yourself up. But if you didn't do this exercise, you wouldn't even open yourself up to the realization that, hey, maybe in eight out of the 10 categories that are important to you, you're crushing it. Well, let's look at those other two and let's make some changes. And, and that's, a po- that's positive momentum. That's positive forward momentum. This is a good thing. Um, and so sometimes cracking through what could be fear around looking at life on those terms cracking through that can lead to a beautiful space where we start to open up our lives a little bit and live more, uh, live with more authenticity and integrity towards our highest ideals. And I think that's very important. That's great. Uh, Michael, this has been, this has been awesome. How, how do listeners, what's a good way to get in touch with you and also just, you know, like 
kind of want to plug like this, like the site, like what are, what are ways that, that folks can kind of get familiar with and maybe plug in the get early? Yeah. So it, there's sometimes there's confusion about the spelling. So it's, it is not B U R L E Y. It's just B U R L Y. So it's get B U R L Y and everything's at get Burley. So we've got the get Burley TikTok. We've got get Burley Instagram. We've got get Burley Twitter. We've got get Burley, you know, Facebook, get Burley YouTube. So everything's just at get Burley. That's the easiest way to find us. You can connect with me on any of those mediums, any of those platforms. It's Michael Karen at getburly.com. It's www.getburly.com. So it's as simple as could be. It's just all at get Burley. Uh, and one more thing, humor is a huge part of what, what we do. And my, my wife who is invested in this, in, in this business with me, hundred percent is kind of handles our TikTok. And if you want a good laugh, go check out her TikTok because it's hysterical. That's awesome. That's awesome. Yeah. That, yeah. What's what a lovely um, relationship you guys must have to be working together on, on get Braley so closely while raising, raising a family. It is. It is amazing. And now we've got our dog involved too. We've got this huge Alaskan Malamud. <laughs> I surprised the family for Christmas last year. It was nice. tiny little puppy. I brought him home running around the snow in Boston and his name is boss, boss Burley Karen. So you'll see him in the videos. He's, he's amazing. Um, but yeah, it's a family thing. You know, it's a, Look, my daughter has been to a ton of our, of our events. You know, you'll see her in some of the videos championing the get burly pose, which you see, you know, listeners can't see, but you can see in the, in the logo behind me. So our, 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 our logo is hands in the air at the top of a mountain and it's just celebrating your successes. Look like we're always going to have to climb the mountain and get to the top. But when we're there, let's take that moment. And so you'll see, you'll see little neighbors in there and uh, the little guy, my little Stadler, who's three. And we've got, you know, we got little get burly gear for him running around and he doesn't have no idea what it is yet, but, but he will someday. And yeah, so it is, it is a fun experience. And my, my wife just brings this amazing, uh, sort of balance to the whole thing because she's just so funny. And I think sense of humor is so important in life. And sometimes we just have to laugh and let go. And that brings, you know, like I'm, I'm like super intense and super serious a lot of the time and bringing these crazy high levels of energy. And then, and then she comes in with some laughter and it, it just helps bring like a nice, uh, a nice little balance to it. So it is, it is definitely a fun thing. That's awesome. This is uh this conversation is really enriched my life and I look forward to sharing it with the community. I feel like it can enrich other others' lives. And I'm looking forward to when we finally get that chance to to hang out in person. That that's gonna happen sooner rather than later. Beverly and Georgetown aren't aren't far away. So we'll figure we'll figure something no. out. But thank you for your presence oh, wow. today. Thank you for your honesty, your candor. Really, really appreciate it, Michael. Thank you. Thank you for Boston Speaks Up. Yeah. Thank you. Uh, thank you, Boston. Yeah. That's right. That's right. Let's go Red Sox. Let's go Sox. We got a big championship series to win. Um, any predictions for the for the series? We go in seven. It's two two right now while we record this podcast. Game five oh, tonight. Uh, we're gonna win tonight. That's the one prediction I'll make. We're definitely gonna win tonight. We, and we're gonna take this. And we're gonna you know we're gonna take the series and then we're gonna win the whole thing. I just we're on a roll. We're there on a we roll. go. No, it's a special. Well, you you actually this you just triggered. I, I didn't even mention this earlier, but you were talking about like how groups can kind of get on these like special levels together where they're like it, it basically like anticipating each other's actions and also like wanting to step up because they don't want to let the other one down it's like the red Sox right now like yeah they're on the way it. they're hitting they're on they're on like a special level there's a mindfulness height, heightened mindfulness level the team's on where even 
Christian Arroyo in the nine spots, like I need to hit a home run because I have to step up and it's really, really interesting. Like it's a great example of sports exhibiting to the world, to to people in business, to entrepreneurs, like this, like Alex Cora is one hell of a freaking leader. You know what they say about Alex Cora? Every single person that plays for the Red Sox believes that their, that their manager believes in them. Servant leadership. It's servant it leadership. There it is. <laughs> yeah. Isn't that no, awesome? they're yeah. It's, they're, it's contagious. Yeah. The, the socks are getting burly right now. They're getting, they're getting burly. The socks are getting burly. <laughs> Tweet that out. I'll retweet yeah. it. Let's go. Um, all right, Michael. We'll talk. We'll talk again soon. Cheers. All right, brother. Thanks. Cheers, Boston.